leave, I'm going to invite Rich Henderson up. Many of you have been involved in something we're calling Prayer Walk, Pray Your Walk, and you've just signed up for a neighborhood to walk around and pray. And just a quick testimony from that. Yesterday, I'm pulling two of my children in a wagon. Uh, two others are walking along with me, and we're praying our, our block. And that's our little Saturday routine much of the time. And, and we were cruising around. We happened to pray for a neighbor a couple of street, or a couple of doors down. We happen to know they're Christians. We've talked to them many times. And uh, just praying God's blessing on that household and, and all these different things. Well, a couple of hours later, I get a knock at my door, and it's my neighbor. And he's dressed up kind of nice. He said, hey, we just had an engagement party. We've got 24 cupcakes. Can I give them to your kids? And point one, I appreciate that he lowered his voice and asked me first about that, because cupcakes in my household at bedtime is a rough thing. But then he mentioned the words Dick's Bakery. And I said, you should have started with Dick's Bakery. We'll take them. So, (laughs) giant pink box. At bedtime, we're just recounting the fact that here we were walking around our neighborhood praying blessing on them, and they give us cupcakes. So, true story, just a little testimony. Might motivate you if you're a cupcake person. Get praying. You just never know how God's going to bless you through that. So, in the midst of our praying, we've really led that up to this thing we do twice a year called the Neighborhood Workabout. The Neighborhood Workabout is essentially, many of you have been a part of this, is essentially us as a church putting hands and feet to just being generous and serving our neighbors and being a blessing and a light in this neighborhood and getting outside of these four walls and doing that. Uh, Rich Henderson's going to kind of spur us on. It's only a few weeks away. May 19th is when the next Workabout is coming up. And frankly, we are in need of needs to meet. So, Rich, help us do that. Yeah, so as you've been uh, walking your neighborhood, you might notice some folks that might need your help. Maybe it's a widow that you know that needs some home repair or yard cleanup or a house cleanup, maybe even some auto repair, um, that kind of thing. And you might just mention to them, hey, we're having this workabout. Can we, can we work on your house? Do you need some help? And uh, Naomi, would you stand up there? Naomi is going to be our coordinator for this. So as needs come in, if you have folks that could need some help, uh, talk to Naomi. Also, next Sunday, we're going to have a little flyer that you can pass out to your neighbors if they have some of those needs. So that's a good way to just generate these needs for our workday. So be looking out for those kind of needs as you're prayer walking your neighborhood. Great. Thanks, Rich. All right. If you would, open up to the book of James. We're in James chapter 1. We just started a series a couple weeks ago. You can catch up online. Everything's on the podcast. You can listen to it on your computer. And uh, you should have received a handout when you walked in, just some, some notes if you want to take those. There's some community group questions on the back for you. You'll notice a surprising lack of youths, high school and junior hires uh, in our midst. They are, every fifth Sunday, they take the Sunday and they get out into the neighborhood in some way, shape, or form. And they're really living the message of James this morning. They're out doing a homeless potluck downtown. And they're just going to be engaging with things. And what a great preview for next week. Read on ahead. It talks about the rich and the poor and having a proper attitude and, and all of that. And so what a, what a cool thing that our, our, our youth are down there worshiping God in, in the outdoor sanctuary of St. James Park downtown. Uh, James chapter 1 is where we'll be at. I was listening to a song yesterday by Switchfoot. It's called Needle and a Haystack World. And I was thinking about, I was contemplating this idea of finding joy in the very midst of our sorrow, that was last week, that was the first part of James chapter 1, and and how often it feels maybe like that, like trying to find a needle in a haystack. About a month ago, some very close friends of ours, dear ministry partners for years and years, he was our junior high pastor at Valley for a long time, and he was at several of my children's births, was in his wedding, we've just remained very, very close. They have since adopted two girls that are Eli's age, our newly adopted child, so we just We've been very close to them. They're in Sacramento. About a month ago, 
One of their newly adopted daughters, Olivia, began to display some symptoms that were abnormal, and they took her in. And nephrotic syndrome is what they've determined she has, which they are now just learning. They're throwing themselves into understanding what that's all about. And it's really rocked their world. It's as if as if adding two new girls to a household of three very, very um, active boys uh, wasn't challenging enough and trying to bond with these two new girls, they've been thrown into this into this world of things. Becky follows their blog and kind of reads in on things, and it's kind of a neat world that we get to live in where Ashley's a very good writer, and she just has been putting some thoughts down on paper. And I wanted to read a little bit because I think that it captures some of, of what finding joy in the midst of sorrow is all about. This was written on Easter of this year. Finding a new normal over here. Finding joy wherever it is. I am joyful because we got to attend church together as a family on Saturday night, all dressed up and everything. We even snapped a family picture. I'm thankful because my daughter was able to wait long enough for her daddy to come home from working at a church on Easter Sunday to go to the hospital. I'm joyful because people pray and people love and God sent friends who are showing me how to ask for the right things medically for Olivia, like an IV port so she doesn't keep getting stuck, more prescriptions, and to ask for regular visits to the pediatric infusion room to help avoid more hospitalizations. I'm joyful I got to spend almost a week at home having a good time with my kids, all five of them. I'm completely blown away by my husband, his heart, strength, care, compassion, work ethic, selflessness, patience, honesty, and for helping us all to look for joy. I don't know if you're perplexed this morning, if your heart is aching this morning, if you're bored this morning, if you're desperate this morning, or crushed. But my question is this, where do you turn when news like this hits? When all of a sudden you see in your child swelling in places there shouldn't be swelling and you just don't know what's happening all of a sudden and, and you start to, to feel things crush in on you. Here's what I'm convinced of. I think that you will turn to whatever you have the most confidence in that will help you. That's where you turn. Whatever you have the most confidence in that is going to help make your situation better, that's where you turn. For the Christians, by the way, their last name is Christian. For these Christians, and for Christians, Christians turn to God. And in turning to God, you turn to the Bible and see what it says. And here's what we read last week. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet various kinds of trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, isn't it really telling in your life to look back and think back on, I had a crushing trial, where did I turn? Who was this person? What was this thing? What was this rock that I clung to, confident that it would help me? It's pretty telling in our life. Because we can say one thing, especially on a Sunday or, or when things are going well, but what really pushes it into the open and into the light, even for us, is in the midst of that trial, where do we turn? Where did you turn in your last storm? Let's look at and read in James this morning, verses 5 to 8. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Once again, week after week, we're going to see James, no punches pulled, goes right after the argument and speaks in pretty stark kinds of language. Very simply, James is telling us in this passage to ask God. That's one of the big ideas I want you to get from this, is to ask God. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, now repeat after me, you, me, and everyone I see. That's who that's talking about. That's who lacks wisdom, okay? It's everyone, right? Now, at some seasons, you don't think you lack wisdom, but we do. We, we don't know it all, even if we act like a know-it-all. Uh, we lack wisdom. So that's who it's talking about when it says lacking wisdom. We're not going to linger a whole bunch on the idea of wisdom, only because there are some other thoughts I want to draw out here. But James, we're going to hit wisdom several times in the book of James. Here he says, ask for it. In chapter 4, he says, ask with the proper motives. Not so that you'll spend it on yourself and not that you have no intention of submitting to it. And then chapter 3 says actually to test it. He says there's true wisdom and there's an earthly wisdom that he calls demonic. So there's different kinds of wisdom that we're to test. So we'll, we'll kind of be revisiting wisdom a little bit. Now what kind of wisdom is needed? Uh, last week we talked about what kind of trials they were and they can be varied. They can be really, really big heavies and they can be little kind of small annoyances. It's that which tests your faith. It's that which can take you from trusting in God and placing your confidence in God and derailing you. And so I think the wisdom here is in the same category that I think it, it, it could be on different kinds, but I do think there's a specific kind of wisdom that's in focus, and I'll, I'll, I'll share with you in a moment why I think that. Wisdom and knowledge, same thing? No, right? Not at all. Um, sometimes when you ask that, you know the answer is no, but to give like an example of that could be hard. Let me put it this way. Knowing about a car and being a good driver. Two very, very different things, right? You can have someone who knows a lot about a car is a terrible driver. Someone who doesn't have a clue about a car, but they're a good driver. Who do you want to ride with? The person who knows how to drive, right? You don't care that they know what's firing under the hood, when and where, if they're all over the road and you fear for your life. So that's wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing about something and wisdom is being able to apply it. This was something that I caught wind of via the city, our online social network this week, and it was this. You discovered that it's Mother's Day, and so you rescheduled the motorcycle ride you had already planned. Okay? Now, follow, track with this. The first part is knowledge. You discovered a date, and then it lined up with something else. The second part is wisdom, right? That's where you take that knowledge and do something good with it. Now, He doesn't happen to be here, but kudos to the guy that figured this one out. Right on. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. The context here, though, remember what we just read about. He's writing to who? It's in verse 1. It's to the Jews who are scattered by the great dispersion. Many of them have been ostracized. They've been pushed out. They've been, they're now setting up life in a whole new city because of their faith in God, because they wouldn't waver on their faith in, in Jesus as the Messiah. So he's writing to those who are under persecution and who are, who are living in the day-to-day crush of that. And now he's talking about wisdom. So I think there's in special focus this, this wisdom to be able to see what we concluded last week, which was this. God has a purpose in our pain. God has a purpose as he's designed things. 
to, to be using our pain. He doesn't waste it. And there's wisdom needed to see what that is in the very midst of the trial. In thinking about this whole idea of confidence, you lean on that which you trust, and that which you trust, you lean on. And here's the problem. Most of us, because of sin and because of our own choices and because of people around us, have some sort of trust issues, right? Trust issues are really common. Let me give you just just a couple that people fall into. See if you see yourself in any of these. One is to trust no one, right? This is the person that just says, I've been burned too many times. I've built up my walls tight. It's really, really hurtful to trust someone, give myself to someone, and then have them turn and use that against me. So I'm the trust no one person. It's gone. What does that lead to? It leads to despair. That's a really despairing, lonely place to be. And there's many of our people in this city, many people who sit in churches and look really, really good, might be despairing because they can't only not trust people, they can't trust God. They can't give themselves to God. And they've, and they've just allowed, allowed that or, or things have gone on. Here's the second one is to trust yourself. Um, you've heard this message before. Be, some of you get this, you're like, oh, him. Some of you are like, who? Uh, be more confident. That's a really, really common message, right? And in sales and in business and those kind of things, going into college, going into an interview, what are you told to be? You're told to be confident, right? It's this interesting fine line. Be confident, but, but don't be cocky. You know, don't be so full of yourself and show some humility. And you kind of get these, you know, these mixed messages that, that, that go on. But confidence seems to be the great hope for many people. It'll overcome your problems. It'll lead to success. All it takes is believing in yourself. Watch almost any Disney film. That's the general message of it. Believe in yourself, right? Certainly instill this in your kids if you want them to be happy. Fill them with self-confidence. And some of you teachers say, tone it down. They're confident enough. Thank you very much. Start teaching some other lessons as well. Because it doesn't make the teachers very happy, even though it's supposed to make the kids happy. Here's the problem with confidence. Overconfidence is trusting in your own ability more than you should. Overconfidence leads to disaster, not just for you, but for other people around you as well. Someone put it this way, that confidence is that feeling you have before you understand the situation. (laughs) I love that. Confidence is the feeling you have before you understand the situation. I thought of two groups of people who are, who are very often overconfident. Children and drunks. Let me explain. Children, children because they lack a correct picture of reality, they lack judgment, they're short-sighted, and they're naive. I love children. I've got a lot of them. But I watch it on a daily basis, kids who are overconfident in their abilities to, 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 to do certain things. Um, one example of this, my son was, um, I don't know, he was a wee tyke. He was just a little guy. He walks to the edge of a little uh, ledge. This was back just not that long ago when you could still hurt yourself at a playground. Now you just bounce everywhere. You can't possibly hurt yourself. But he gets to the edge of about a seven-foot you know, drop-off. I'm sitting in a park bench a reasonable distance away, so I thought. No one's there except for a, 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 a Russian grand lady sitting next to me. And Curran jumped. He just jumped right off. He walked right to the edge. He took that long and he jumped, right? Scary, right? He comes, he kind of crumples in a ball. God made organs and heads and all these things somehow to survive bad parenting. Because 
I mean, I realized after the fact, like, that's, that's the kid I got. I got the one that doesn't even pause for five seconds. He just goes for it. He lacked experience. Now, not sure that this is true, but in theory, right, the next time he'd get to a ledge, he would remember that and start to grow. That's part of the process of growing up. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Now, that's children being overconfident, trusting in their abilities more than they should. Drunks, because of all of the above, lacking a correct picture of reality, lacking judgment, short-sighted and naive, but also using a substance to dull reasoning and logic skills. And even using it maybe to forget past experiences that would help them in this current situation. There's something called liquid courage that people use, right? And to try to like bolster their, their, their confidence. That's not there in in a good, healthy way. And so let's let's bolster it in a different way. There's a third way. I'm sure there's plenty more. But how about this? In God we trust. So is that just a slogan on our currency or is that a reality? And that's really the heart of this passage when it's talking about asking God for wisdom. And that who you go to is that who you have confidence in. Do we trust God? Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Trust in yourself. You trust in no one whatsoever. Is your trust put in a thing, or an object, or another person that seems to have it all together? The way we discover that is trials. That's what bubbles to the surface where we go to in a problem. Not only are we to ask God, but we're to ask God confidently. In short, it says, ask with faith and without doubt. So with faith and without doubt, that's confidently, right? That's what that's talking about. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. With faith looks like this. God has given me all that I need to know. Do you believe that? God has given me all that I need to know. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 9.8. I don't think I put it in your notes, but just listen. You can write it down. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a lot of alls and aboundings and everythings packed into one short sentence right there. And yet, part of the equation is this. God says, ask. God could just give it to us and dose it out right when we need, and supernaturally, boom, we have the wisdom we need. But there's this relational aspect. I don't know all the details of it. I won't pretend to. But I think there's a relational aspect to it that God longs for us to simply ask. He's got all the wisdom that you need. Note that he's given you far more than wisdom that you need, as this passage and other passages um, uh, clearly teach, but he's certainly given you no less than the wisdom that you need to make it through whatever you're in right now. Be confident that God will do what he says. If he's promised it, this is why it's so important to read your Bible and know what God has promised. Many of the scriptures are calling out to God on his own word. God, you said, make this happen. God, you promised. Now, I'm calling out on you to, to, to do this. Now, we can do that in a reverent and spiritual way, but in a passionate way. If God's promised it, it's a foregone conclusion. You just say, okay, now, God, it's just a question of when is this going to happen and how is it going to play out? Can't wait! If he's promised it, know that it's going to happen. Now, 
plenty of things that he's not promised. If he hasn't promised it, here's what asking in faith looks like. It's confident that he can do it, but even if he doesn't do it, you trust him. It's confident that he can do it. Let me give you maybe one of the best examples in the scriptures of this. It just so happens that in my Bible reading last week sometime around uh, midweek, I read in the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys have heard of them. Some evil people see them. They're jealous of them. They basically go to the king, appeal to his pride. They say, hey, set up this edict, set up this thing where everyone, when they hear this sound, they have to bow to the king. And anyone caught going to a different god um, gets killed. And he goes, I, I like that. That's pretty good. I am a pretty righteous, cool guy. So let's set that up. He sets it up. Even though he likes these guys and likes their testimony and what's going on, he sets it up and it's irrevocable. And that, and it starts to go down that, uh, that they're caught doing this, uh, praying to their God and, um, and the king calls them in. And in Daniel 3, verse 16, here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, he asks them this, Hey, what gives? You know the rules. You're not doing it. And he basically calls it out. Like, tell me about this God who's going to save you. Here's their response. Ready? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Where's their confidence? It's not in their self. It's not in the king, certainly. It's in the God who's able to save. Now, each week, most weeks, I'm going to give you some some cowboy's dumb. That's cowboy wisdom. And sometimes cowboys say it real simple and, and straightforward. Here's three cowboys for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You could almost hear them saying this, okay? Here it is. There's right, and there's wrong, and there's nothing in between. King, you take your rules, whatever it is. What we know is that we worship the God who saves. So you threaten us with whatever you want to threaten us with, and you put us in the fiery furnace if you want. God's going to save us. He's going to deliver us out of your hands. But even if he doesn't, essentially, he can and we trust him and not you. That's asking in faith. Verse 6 also says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. What is the opposite of asking in faith? I'm not really sure the answer to that. I don't know what the opposite, exact opposite is, but an example of asking with doubt would be to ask God experimentally. You ever ask God experimentally for something? Some people got saved this way. Their, their salvation story is, is this way. They say, I heard this deal offered to me where if I did this, I got this, and so I tried it out. Christians seemed to be, uh, you know, not perfect, but they seemed to be happy, and they seemed to be having some things I wanted. I thought I would give it a go. I thought I'd give this Christianity thing a go. Now, were they completely sincere in their prayer to receive Jesus and become a Christian? Absolutely. Completely sincere. But they weren't asking in faith. They were asking basically experimentally. Let's try this out. I've tried all these other kinds of things. Might as well try Christianity as well. Were they converted? Did their life change? I don't think so. That's not what, that's not what saving faith is. Everything I read about saving faith isn't asked in that way. It's not asked experimentally like that. 
uh, part of people's journey, and we can tell this just from reading the Gospels, in the Gospels what you have is you have people who are following Jesus, and Jesus periodically does something. He kind of cleans house with his followers. And when the crowds get too big to manage and probably start depleting resources and stuff, there's a few places in Scripture where Jesus comes up and he, he metaphorically or verbally or physically draws a line in the sand. And says, hey, everyone who's here for the free food and the party and the cool magic tricks, let me tell you what following Jesus is all about. Here's what being a disciple of mine is. It's about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That's how you thin a crowd out right there. People are like, no thanks. I don't have ears to hear that one. It's taking up your cross and following me. You want to really follow me. And, and Several times, you just read it, there's times where just giant chunks of people are not following Jesus anymore. I'm not tracking with that one anymore. So I think part of people's faith journey today is the same way. They'll kind of come in and try it out, and they go, oh, I like that church, until they started kind of, they are trying to like tell me how to think and stuff. They're like trying to change my marriage and tell me what to do. I think a godly church should be should be preaching God's word, and God's word is like a mirror, and when you see it, and you see junk in your life, you go, ew, that's kind of ugly. But, but a godly and a biblically faithful church should be teaching and promoting and proclaiming God's word. So it's not the preacher or the small group leader or the guy on the video or whatever that's telling you how to live. It's just, it's just opening God's word and, 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 and sharing it and, and expounding on it. So people will come, leave. Come, but, but there's a, there's a way of asking experimentally, and there's a way of asking in faith. I wonder if you've ever prayed and taken the matter into your own hands immediately. You ever do that? You pray about it, and you solve the problem right there. Some of you are planners and problem solvers. You know who you are. We need you in the church. We really do. But we need you to be prayers first, and often, and throughout, and after. And sometimes people go in and they're going to plan and solve the problem uh, and kind of pray in conjunction. Some people do do it the opposite way. They take matters in their own hands. They kind of get it all going. They've got it fixed. And they kind of pray to ask God to bless their plan and their wisdom and their and their fulfillment of life's goals and, and happiness. And um, and that just sounds wrong as I say it, right? I mean, that's not hard to figure out um, that that's the backward. That's a little bit inverted. So what I'm not saying is don't plan, don't get up, and, and don't do those things. But what I am saying is there's a way to, there's a way to do this with, with faith, and there's a way to do it with doubting. And we're instructed, confidently ask God for wisdom. Confidently. And, and ask already knowing that he can do it. The person who is taking matters in their own hands and praying God's blessing on it is a double-minded person. All through the scriptures, you see the double-minded talked about. Jesus talked about the fact that you can't serve God and money because you'll either love one master and hate the other or serve one and, and despise the other, right? And so that's a double-minded person. We've seen that. We've maybe been there where we've tried to serve both, and it's just frustrating because we want what both has to offer and we can't get it. James might give one of the clearest pictures of the double-minded in all of scripture. So why don't we ask? That's... That's one sin error here is that we don't ask God for wisdom. whole nother sermon is who we run to, right? And when someone comes to you, here's what I would say, Christian. If someone comes to you wanting advice, seeking input, asking advice, 
your very first. You sh- it should be known of you. When people come and want your input and want your advice, they already know what you're going to ask. What is it? It's going to be this. H- have, have you prayed about it? And then when the person says, yeah, I have, you say, well, tell me about that. I mean, you've prayed about it. You've taken the Lord. What is God, what is God showing you in it? Let's not rush to what I think and what I can interpret. Don't you struggle figuring out your own life? How do you have the wisdom to tell another person to pick this career over that career? I mean, this is college ministry, by the way. Constantly, uh, students whom I love come and say, Dave, what should I do? Quite simply, I say, I don't know, but God does. Let's pray about it. You start praying. I'm going to join with you in prayer. Sometimes, guess what? It wasn't a quick answer, just, you know, get the answer and go. It was a year's worth of prayer and seeking and some fasting thrown in and saying, God, help! What do I do with this? You put this desire in my heart. Help me know how to fulfill this. You know what's beautiful about that? The person that comes back and... uh if, if I had given out a whole bunch of advice, there could be a lot of college students right now. Here's some of the seeds I'd be reaping if I was quick to just give my input. The seeds I would be reaping is this. Dave, you told me, you instructed me this way. And now I'm divorced. Dave, you told me I should pursue this career path. Look how it worked out. I was really, really careful to not sit in that judgment seat and dole out my great input. Because frankly, six months later, I get new information about the kid. I go, whoops, I, I had you all wrong, dude. You should not be doing that. You should be over here. So I don't want to sit in that seat even if people want me there. You shouldn't want to sit in that seat even if people want you there. Doesn't it stroke the ego to have people come and say, hey, I really trust your input. I really like, man, take them, take them to that which is going to last. Take them to this passage and say, you seek God in, in, in prayer and wisdom and in Scripture. I'll do the same with you in mind. And we can talk and we can dialogue and we can discuss. But let's go to God. So, some don't ask in that sin. Some ask half-heartedly in that sin. Let me just throw out a couple of ideas on why maybe this is true. I think some don't ask or ask uh, half-heartedly because they're undeserving. They feel undeserving. Here's the reality of that. That is a true statement, but it's irrelevant to the discussion. It is true that you are undeserving to have the God of the universe impart wisdom to you. But it's irrelevant. God's a generous God. He gives new life in Jesus, and then he gives all that we need to walk that life in Jesus. Here's the second idea. Some say, well, maybe this is unworthy of his attention. Also true, but but irrelevant. Same answer. When you think about this King Eternal that we just sang about, who alone is wise, what on earth is my piddly thing about about how to take this toddler and, and how am I parenting them and what am I supposed to do with this? And yet here's the beautiful thing. Time and again, God is so gracious and so good that not only does he put up with our menial requests, he invites us and instructs us and his son would walk around the countryside telling stories to say, Ask about the little things. God notices sparrows. You don't think you're more valuable than sparrows? Ask. I'm inviting relationship. I want you to run to me with all of those requests. 
Some sin because they're argumentative. And instead of asking for wisdom, they're just argumentative. They'd rather dispute the rationale, the timing of their pain, or they attack God's character in the very midst of it. I'm going to attack your existence. I'm going to attack your justice. I'm going to attack your timing. You ever been there? I've been that argumentative kid before. That's not with faith and with no doubting. That's just argumentative. The last one is that maybe there's undeveloped convictions. I think this is part of why people ask so half-heartedly, so experimentally, and are so frustrated at the, at the pattern of their life. We just finished about a, I don't know, eight to ten week series on apologetics. And the challenge in the apologetics series was to search out a matter. Search it out and develop conviction about it. If this is God's word for real, do the research you need to do and then start basing your life on it. Don't forever be going back and forth. Well, there's always those who say. Search it out. Search out the truth and develop some conviction. If you don't have developed convictions, then you will forever be going back and forth. And we're going to get to that picture that James gives us in a second. Turn to Luke 11 really quick. In Luke 11, it's mirrored in another gospel as well, but in Luke 11, Jesus, I told you that James often talked about the Sermon on the Mount. He he expounds on the Sermon on the Mount a lot. And I'm sure he was there listening to his half-brother speak the Sermon on the Mount. And so a lot of the themes and ideas we'll see kind of percolate up from that. In Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, basically he is there and the disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And then he shares with them what we would call the Lord's Prayer. He says, here's how you should pray. Now, interestingly, people have taken that and done exactly the opposite point of that prayer, which is they've turned that into rote memorization and just kind of call that out like a magic pill. Not what he was teaching. But I want you to look down at verse 9 for a second. He goes on to tell this story about a very, very persistent neighbor. And in verse 9, he says this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Here's what I would say with this. If you want to learn about prayer, watch children and their parents. Here's how it goes down in my house all the time. They ask me for things. If I am walking around the corner to go do something else, they seek me out. They follow me. What are they still doing? They're still asking. This is constant. If I am off in another room, we have knocking children at our door. Now, sometimes, like you, I'm completely annoyed by this. What do you want? 
They're like the persistent neighbor. They've been reading the Bible like I told them to, and they're taking them up on it. But it's a beautiful thing because of this. What do they know? They know that dad's not going to backhand them and hurt them for asking a question or asking for stuff. Why? Because they trust my goodness. They know there's re- there's relationship there and there's an invitation to come and just get to have total access to come and ask for anything. They don't filter it ahead of time. Is this going to make me sound weird? Is this going to make me sound like I don't know what's happening? They never do that. Sometimes they ask for really kind of dumb things. I want a donut. You're holding one. Oh, okay. You know, whatever. I mean, that kind of a thing. They, they, don't, they don't even filter it. They just run to the Father, and they seek after the Father, and they knock on the Father's door <laughs> at all times of the night. Um, and, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And Jesus is drawing this comparison, saying, hey, you who are, who are evil and sinful, you know what it is to give good gifts to your kids. How much more a loving Heavenly Father? So when you go to God asking for wisdom, don't think that you're a nuisance and you're annoying him. Don't hear a voice that has, that has wronged you in the past, maybe a parent, that's called you an idiot kid and to get out of my face. That's not God. That is not how God has opened the door for us. Instead, he said, ask and seek and knock, not just about the big things, but about the little tiny piddly things. I want that relationship. Ask God and ask him confidently. The other thing that kids sometimes, not all the time, as part of growing up, is they learn to take a no. They learn that if their request has been put on hold, or if it's maybe later, or if it's you definitely don't want this request filled, sometimes there's a a little gleam in my eye when I tell them that, and what they know, they know that daddy's got his, like, there's a treat coming face on, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, I, I I won't do this then. Because they know, I say, I'll, I'll let you have this request. But trust me, you don't want this request. They go, oh, okay. You take, you, you, you keep that. So there's a confident trust that they just ask and ask and ask, knowing what their dad is like. That's from a sinful dad. How much more from God? Look at verse 6, back in James now. James 1, 6 says this. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Not hard for us. Most of us go to the coast periodically, if not often. We've seen the waves on a windy day, right? Just all over the place. Have you ever been out in the middle of it? It's just wave after wave. There's no pattern. You're tossed. You're driven here or there. The only way to even stay put when you're out in waves like that, is to find a fixed point somewhere on land and kind of triangulate yourself and try to stay there. Otherwise, you would have no idea what is even up or down out there. You would just be, you would just be tossed all around. Now, think about a double-minded person for a minute. There's, there are some, there are some things that, that the scriptures draw out about a double-minded person. And maybe this is you sitting in here this morning. Maybe this has been you and God's really freed you from that. This ties a lot in with anxiety. Anxiety can, can produce a, a lot of this and, and things like that. The, the first thing is this, that they're, they're confused and unhappy. A person who is, 
who is double-minded is going back to the kid thing. Wouldn't it be terrible as a parent if I just flipped a switch and I was two completely different people and he never knew kind of who they were asking? And so sometimes dad really comes through and I'm really confident in him. And, and other times, man, just the asking is not worth what I would be getting if I got what I wanted. So I'm not going to ask that. Some of you were raised in those homes. I'm, and that's just, that's a, that's a hard way to live. It's, it's confusing. It's not, it's not a good thing. That who's double-minded is allowing circumstances to control them rather than God. So the wind on the waves blowing you all around. Hey, here's a, here's a new conference over here. It's, it's got a Christian label attached to it, so it must be good. Wow, I think this is what I should be about. Hey, there's a new business venture over here. Hey, there's a new person over here that thinks you're, you know, that thinks you're something else. And, and all of a sudden, you're just the circumstances of life. Some of you really wrestle with this. I, I know you do. You don't want to be like this, but when times are really good, you just, it's hard for you to think about anything else. And when times are really bad, it's really difficult to get out of that. And sometimes it's like a cliff. I mean, it's just literally seconds apart. Back and forth, that goes. It also manifests an inconsistent lifestyle. This is the person who one week is trusting in God, devouring His Word, walking in His ways, and the very next week, arguing with God, despising His Word, and walking in His own path. And then the next week, it's back on again. That's a double-minded person. It's coming and saying, this was me. This was me prior to me saying, okay, God, I get it. I'm on the fence. One week, I'm trying to live out the world's Goods for me, trying to grab everything I can, but you've given me enough grace to be able to see that if I'm going to do that, I should go all in over there and get everything I can from this life, but but I don't want that because I I actually know you to be a good God, and I, I want all the things you have to offer as well, but it sure is a hard life to walk on this side of the fence, So so I think I'll go back over here again. And honestly, I can't tell you any other thing than God just graciously one day gave me a very clear picture of that and said, take a side. And I chose to walk with God, and it utterly revolutionized my life. And I'll be totally frank with you, I was bored sitting in a church service when that happened. And somehow God opened my ears long enough to hear something that was going on up front, and it radically altered my life to not be inconsistent anymore and not be going back and forth anywhere any, anymore. What if a civil war was going on in your own life right now and there was never a ceasefire and sometimes the momentum would swing one way and sometimes it would swing another way? Who's the loser in that? It's you. I mean, all around and in every conceivable way, it's you. I just finished a second book on Abraham Lincoln. I'm just kind of really tied into Civil War times. And what a terrible thing it is for a nation to be fighting against itself. And I thought, wow, what a stark picture of someone who's double-minded and constantly going back and forth. Here's what I know. You can't just muster up more spiritual juice to get that going. If you're in that place that I was in and you were trying to do both and you try and then it comes and it's back and it's forth, all I know is just pray for grace that God, I need you a thousand percent. Great little sentence prayer in the Gospels. Jesus is talking to a man 
And he's essentially calling them out on their lack of faith. And here's what the guy says. He says, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I love that Jesus gives the mustard seed picture. It just takes a tiny bit of faith. So don't think that this somehow rests on your great grand picture of faith. Go read Hebrews 11, by the way. We're going to be continually looking at some Old Testament heroes because that's what James does as illustrations. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But go read through the Hall of Faith sometime. Hebrews chapter 11. Very ordinary, regular people that stumbled in some very gargantuan ways, and yet they were called men and women after God's own heart. Let me continue with a part of the Christian's blog that day, because it's pertinent. She goes on to write this, I'm thankful for tears to grieve with and for the solid rock we're standing on. I'm thankful the pediatric pediatric nephrologist. I'm thankful for a team of specialists, for a house to live in, food to eat, clothes to wear, a car to drive, for extended family, and for the desperateness that has so swiftly humbled me allowing more room for God to take over. I'm thankful for sleep when I can get it. I'm thankful for a God who watched his child suffer and die so that I could truly live. I'm thankful that he rose again. I'm finding crazy joy in the new freedom I live in because there is no other choice than to trust or lose my mind. I'm grateful to be put in a position where I cry out, I cannot do this. Then I get to watch Jesus do it instead. I've got it good. Wow. Just over spring break, we got to, um, I'd show you a picture of our two newly adopted kids with their two newly adopted kids. They're so white, they blur out in this picture. But to see our two kids next to their two kids, it's like an Oreo cookie double stack. It's awesome. <laughs> and so we had all these, you know, 18, 19, 20-month-olds eating lunch at this picnic bench table sitting in their living room. And I think she did get one picture that all four of them weren't blurry at one point. But to go and be with the Christians, you can read this in a book. You can read it and say, yeah, but I wonder if that's really how they are or if that just writes well. You know what? This is how they are. doesn't mean it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that they're just putting on kind of, they're not happy, shiny people that just slap on a smile and, and move forward. We've been through so much of life together and now this. And to get to sit there and be with them and understand, wow, we intimately, recently understand what it is to have one parent at a hospital bed for 24 hours of the day while the other one's trying to not pull their hair out and manage everything else going on. You know, from a couple of hours away, we pray with you, we walk through this with you. What a beautiful picture to say that they have it good, though. Now, you might look at a family like that, an individual like that, and say, if, if they can somehow find that needle in the haystack better than most, what gives? What's the deal? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach. I, I don't think that they just have some supernatural happy gene, right? I think that God's giving them wisdom to find joy right in the very midst of their crushing pain and confusion that is going on. Even in pain, they're confident in a father who they go to with anything and gives them the wisdom to thrive in everything. Look at this word confident for a second. 
Some of you have already caught that there's a very interesting word built right into this. And it's the word confide. The one that you confide in is the one you have full trust in. Think about it. Who do you take into confidence? Who do you confide in? That which you know your stuff is safe with. And when you find someone like that, when you have someone like that on this earth, what you do is you feel thankful for it. You say, man, I can go to this person with my desires. I can go to this person with my hurts. I can go to this person with my secrets. And it's safe with them. What a beautiful thing to have that be a picture of how we pray to God. And you see how important faith is in that picture. If you don't have confidence, you won't really share in the way that God wants us to pray to him. We're going to sing a couple of songs that um, that I hope are just exclamation points to what we're talking about here this morning. And what I would invite you to do is this. Um, if you're somewhat of a musician, then what you might sometimes spend your time doing in a worship set is you might feel tempted once in a while to kind of hear the positives. Wow, they really made that key change well. That that transition nailed it. Oh, I like the song. Oh, this one's kind of a bit, you know, whatever. Rid yourself of that. Say, God, would you keep me from being distracted that way? If, if you're not a musician, you don't care about any of that stuff, but you love lunch, you might be thinking right now the same thoughts about lunch, right? Here, here's what I would invite you to do. In these next few moments we have, we have, we have roughly 20 minutes left before someone's going to stand up here and dismiss you. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss the moments we have right now. Band, why don't you come on up and think about this. Are you confident in his ability to provide, and are you confident in his goodness to give you an answer? A good father here on earth wouldn't just ignore his children's requests. That would eventually drive probably an irreparable wedge between father and child. No communication, no relationship. As the band gets ready, let me pray this prayer of blessing over you. We, we finished the Ephesians series not that long ago. And built right into it is a prayer of Paul to his Ephesian brothers and sisters. And it's a prayer for wisdom. And it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.